Friends, let us pray. Holy God, as these scriptures are read, may it be to us as if the heavens are opening and we see your spirit descending on us like a dove, revealing your love for us as your children. Amen. Today's gospel reading is from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Hear the gospel. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last May, along with my 14 other travel companions, I stood in the waters of the Jordan River, north of the Dead Sea and near Jericho, at the site where tradition says Jesus was baptized by John. It was hot, nearly 110 degrees that day, and I must say the water didn't look very holy. It was an opaque, muddy brown, filled with silt and who knows what. When we stepped down into the water's edge up to our ankles, we couldn't see our feet at all. And the river is not very wide, nor is it very deep. Its size and temperament are much more like a creek than a river, let alone a mighty river. Its average width is only 100 feet, and it's only 2 to 10 feet deep. And right on the other side is the country of Jordan. It's so close you can practically touch it. What kind of power can possibly come from a river such as this? What about this place could possibly invoke the opening of the heavens? What about this underwhelming shadow of a river could call forth the Holy Spirit's presence? What was it about this water that could launch the public ministry of Jesus? You'd expect something more like the mighty rushing Niagara River. Now there is a sight to behold, and I never, ever tire of seeing it. Even before you get to the falls, as you cross over the Grand Island Bridge and then travel the Robert Moses Parkway, you see the buoys and the big warning signs to boaters not to go any further, for the currents are so strong. And then further on down, as you approach Goat Island, you get to the rapids. And then even further down, where the waters finally cascade over the falls, you really see its power to carve and shape. 
and its enormous force is as mesmerizing today as it was the first time I ever saw it. And it's not even what it could be. Instead of sculpting and whittling away several inches of rock underneath every year, without today's water diversion, it could erode up to four feet a year from the Horseshoe Falls. Now this sounds much more like the water that could launch Jesus' ministry, don't you think? The roar of the falls accompanies the opening of the heavens. A thundering voice of the Spirit shouts over the noise. The crowds around from the maid of the mist behold the spectacle, and they know something significant just happened. But no, it's a shallow, muddy creek where this baptism takes place, shallow and muddy like the lives of people to whom God offers divine grace, shallow and muddy like the world into which Jesus came to establish God's justice, shallow and muddy like the world into which our baptism calls us. The other day, as I listened to public radio in the car, the station played a spiritual sung by the great concert bass baritone, William Warfield. Did you hear it? Many of you know that he grew up in Rochester and studied at Eastman before his distinguished career took off. And the radio announcer went on to give thanks that Rochester was, and I quote, such a progressive city that allowed him, an African-American man, to be educated and thrive at that time. And I confess, I did a double take. Was that really true? Well, in his autobiography, Warfield did indeed describe the neighborhood where he grew up as a place where people of African and Polish and Irish and Italian descent all grew up in the same mixed neighborhood where the ethnic differences that separated them were usually no more significant than the varied aromas that wafted out of their mother's kitchens while they played together in their adjoining backyards. And I did a double take because it struck me that it may have been true once, and yet we know that it is largely not true in Rochester today, with perhaps a few exceptions. In fact, Rochester just released yet its latest community report card, and we are still highly segregated racially and economically. The number of children living in poverty is still increasing. Some indicators show some slight improvement, but on balance, the story remains largely the same. Ours is a region of vast educational inequities. People of color are still arrested and incarcerated at rates far higher than those of us who are white. Justice for everyone remains elusive. The world longs for justice, for climate justice, water justice, food justice, gender justice, racial justice, justice between and within nations. 
And even the traditional site of Jesus' baptism is not exempt, for it is located at the crossroads of the Israeli-Palestinian struggle to coexist on just and peaceful terms. The world longs for justice, not the false justice of retribution and revenge and war, but biblical justice that sets the world right, that seeks restoration and recreation. Justice that, in the words of the prophet Amos, rolls down like mighty rushing waters. Which brings us right back to Jesus' baptism by John, which has everything to do with justice. For when John called people to be baptized for repentance, says Joy J. Moore, it was a rejection of the political and social commitments that kept them from practicing justice and righteousness. Baptism is rich with many layers of meaning, beginning with our identity as ones loved and claimed by God long before we were born and could do anything to earn it. It's an identity we see most clearly when we baptize infants, for they are dependent on their caregivers for absolutely everything. And because it is God's claim on our lives, baptism is also our call to respond to the gift of God's grace in our lives, a call we see most clearly when we baptize adults. But make no mistake, the sacrament is the one and the same for all, a grace-filled claim on our lives and a call to respond. And that call to respond includes a call to seek justice. Jesus no doubt knew his scriptures, including words from the prophet Isaiah that we heard Sheila read. Named that day as God's beloved, he would understand that this commissioning by the Spirit empowered him to restore justice wherever people are vulnerable and oppressed. Now the tradition of seeking justice is a vital one for this congregation. In fact, it's such an important part of who we believe that we're called to be that we have included it in a tagline that will appear in our brand new website, our new digital front door that is oh so close to going live. But I'm not going to give you a date yet or Rachel will have my head, I think. (laughs) But it's getting there. And that tagline includes the phrase, a heart for justice in a complex world. It comes out of our tradition of seeking justice for women in ordination, for full inclusion of the LGBTQ community, for equitable education of under-resourced children and more. Our tradition of leadership in issues of justice has been strong. Will it remain that way? It's a question I think about a lot, especially these days. Will we continue to live into our baptismal call to seek justice, especially in our own backyard? For we are in this time of transition, and those times are risky. 
Just as every wilderness story in the Bible carried risks for God's people. The risk is to let ourselves subscribe to binary, mutually exclusive, either-or thinking. That we must choose between focusing on ourselves and reaching out into our community with a heart for justice. A wilderness, especially one with budget implications, can be an unnerving and scary even, and it's our inclination to hunker down and close ranks. It's understandable. But self-preservation for its own sake isn't gospel. William Barber wrote that Jesus' language was justice language. Good news for the poor, freedom for prisoners, healing for the sick and oppressed. And Barber also said that in his view, the most important word in the justice vocabulary is always we. Not you, not I, but we. And not just we as humans, but in a much more cosmic sense, as we are part of God's mission in the world. Will we continue to claim and reclaim that identity as seekers of justice? Will we claim that in a week that includes climate issues in Australia, earthquakes in Puerto Rico, and fears of war with Iran? A couple of months ago, the Covenant singers sang, For Everyone Born in Worship. For everyone born, a place at the table. For everyone born, clean water and bread, a shelter, a space, a safe place for growing. For everyone born, a star overhead. And then the refrain that repeats throughout. And God will delight when we are creators of justice and joy, compassion, and peace. Yes, God will delight when we are creators of justice, justice, and joy. That's gospel, justice and joy. Richard Rohr has said that God's justice feels nothing like ours. Instead, it feels like grace, like generosity, like love itself. And we have, are not justified, nor have we done justice, nor do we enjoy divine justice until we share in God's own divine generosity. Which brings us back again to the power and promise, not only of Jesus' baptism, but our own. Its power endures. Its power to carve and shape our lives is lifelong. Its power to call us to respond in faithfulness to God's grace lasts a lifetime. For when we respond, we are sculpted and whittled and chiseled into God's instruments of justice, even as the mighty Niagara River carves away at the rocks underneath the falls. It gives us justice-shaped hearts and Jesus-shaped lives. 
And yes, it looks like the work of rushing mighty waters, but in reality, it's nurtured in the undistinguished, muddy waters of the Jordan. What will our baptismal response to injustice be? Will we stay on the riverbank? Will we dip a toe in? Or will we follow Jesus and go full immersion? Amen.